Welcome to Salty Conversations, podcasts of Saltbush uniting the scattered community. This is number one in a series of six conversations in Christian community. Our guest today is the Reverend Rebecca Lindsay, Minister at Hope Uniting Church. I'm Jeff Wellington, one of the Saltbush Community Ministers. Welcome everybody along to today's uh, conversation. I'm really excited about um, the next few weeks and um, the cafe conversations we're going to have around conversations in Christian community. There's no doubt the church um, has changed and shifted and um, moved as it's uh, responded to the context in which it's found itself and now certainly no different, particularly the moment with uh, COVID-19 happening, um, our uh, the gospel imperative, if you like, um, to start to respond to, well, what does it mean to be people of faith now is certainly um, there in front of us. So really looking forward to um, talking with you over the next few weeks. But today is um, a great pleasure to have Beck uh, Lindsay along with us, uh, Reverend Beck Lindsay. Um, I met Beck um, nearly a decade ago, I think now. <laughs> at the Hunter Presbytery Easter Camp and um, Beck came along to help out with the Bible studies and um, I was very impressed then and uh, continue to be so and so it was a great excuse to um, to get in touch with Beck and see whether she'd come along and, and chat with us. We have a bit of a shared interest in um, all things um, Old Testament, Hebrew Scriptures. So Beck, um, how about you um, kick off with Telling us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for the invitation. Um, and it's lovely to see some faces in the Zoom gallery uh, of people who I've encountered before. Uh, but I have to say that most of you I haven't actually met. So, um, hello. Uh, I would begin by saying that I'm talking today from Gadigal and Bidjigal land, um, part of the Aora Nation, uh, and I pay my respects to them. And I also acknowledge that my context is very different than the context that most of you, uh, I would imagine, are in. Uh, I'm, I'm an urban person. <laughs> and um, I'm very much an urban person and my context is urban and, and suburban. Um, and so I just want to acknowledge that and that there might be things that, um, that are a part of my thinking and, and my rethinking at the moment that might not actually be be where you're at. Um, and so feel free to um, throw that into the chat or to uh, to acknowledge that, I guess, is, is part of what I wanted to say. So um, who am I? I'm here in Maroubra at the moment sitting in the church office with my colleagues' books behind me. Uh, I've been here for seven years uh, and it's my first ministry placement as a Minister of the Word. Uh, I'm here part-time, so at the moment I'm theoretically only here a day and a bit a week uh, while I concurrently do my um, PhD studies, which are in, in the Old Testament, uh, in the Book of Ruth, and my question is looking at what, um, how, how do we read the Bible in Australia, those of us who are white or settler or invader Australians, how do we read the Bible in ways that are life-giving and decolonising? Uh, and so I'm reading the Book of Ruth alongside some Indigenous texts and just seeing what clues I get and um, what interesting things emerge from within that. Uh, as well as that, I have the joy of a three-year-old in the house um, and that is a joy and a challenge, as many of you will know, uh, and he is the most extroverted person in our household uh, so <laughs> that's been quite interesting over the last few weeks. Um, apart from that, I love to go swimming. Uh, I like swimming in the ocean and I'm really lucky to be close to the ocean at the moment and I love being outside uh, and walking and not having to be uh, in one place for too long. Um, so, so that's a little bit about me. Um, anything, what, what kind of things do you want to know, Jeff? <laughs> Uh, that, that's a good start. Um, so people are coming from all sorts of places, some people from regional centres, others uh, very 
very rural sorts of places as well. So there's a big mixture and a few people from Sydney and uh, in, in the Sydney Basin. So um, there's a big mixture of people from all sorts of different walks of life and experiences around the church and uh, and some of those sort of things. So that'll be that'll be good, Beck. It'll be great to um, um, to hear some of those sort of conversations. I wonder I wonder what's um, been your experience of Christian community and what's been those sort of influences on your life? Yeah, so I'm someone who grew up in the church, um, not in the Uniting Church, but my family uh, have attended church since since I was born. Um, and I'm someone who, for whom the, the sense of God and, and God's reality and God's presence has always been part of my life. Uh, there are a number of different Christian communities that really formed me and shaped me in different ways. Uh, and the first one was probably the Sydney Anglican Church in which I spent my formative teenage years. Uh, which was a place that really nurtured me, taught me to love scripture and to love God uh, and gave me lots of opportunities to be um, a part of different kinds of ministries. It was a community that said, if you're part of this community, then you need to have a role and you need to be contributing in some way. Um, and if you're part of this community, then there's a sense of commitment and responsibility that is a part of a part of that. And that really shaped me and um, was a, a part of my, my formation, that sense of um, not just people being bums on seats in church but people actually being active participants in, uh, in shaping the experience of the community and in, in being part of God's mission. Ultimately, that community was, was one that I needed to leave uh, because it wasn't one that I could flourish in. It wasn't a community that could uh, deal with questions uh, just about life <laughs> uh, and, and questions that would um, that would call the way that things were happening or the way that people were labelled as insiders or outsiders. Um, that it just wasn't allowed. And if you started to go into that kind of space, uh, it was um, very quickly shut down. And, and you just you just knew your place without really having to um, to, to go there. Uh, so that was a really important community for me, but one that also gave me a, an experience of um, uh, trauma in the church, yeah. uh, and in the sense of family and community. Um, from there, I encountered the Uniting Church through tertiary chaplaincy. I'm a I'm a big evangelist for uh, the work of tertiary chaplaincy, uh, and it it was a place where I actually the, the reason that that community was so important to me was it was a place that I could actually ask all those questions, um, and struggle and try and find the answers, or just try and be okay with not having answers. And for me, that was liberating because it was the first place that I had had that opportunity to ask questions. Um, that brought together life and faith and Bible and tradition and all of those kind of aspects of faith um, and, and that people would actually, people in positions of, of power or people who had held knowledge were not afraid to say when they didn't know or weren't afraid to say, well, actually, there's a diversity of views around this. Um, and so that was a really liberating space for me and, and something that I still value highly in the communities, the kind of Christian communities that I was a part of. Um, so that, that's kind of the second community that's been really formative, that breaking open space. Um, and that space that said that God doesn't actually need us to put cotton wool around God. God's actually big enough to handle our questions and to handle our um, uncertainties and our fears and our anger and whatever else it is that we need to express. Whereas I think the community that I had been in before, um, God was a bit, God seemed a bit fragile in that space actually because there were things you couldn't ask of God. And then the third community that was really important to me was um, after I finished uni, I travelled overseas for a couple of years doing some teaching and other things 
and wound up spending a year living and working as part of the Iona community uh, as one of their resident staff members on Iona. Uh, first of all, as a volunteer in the kitchens and then as a housekeeper. And that was the place where I actually encountered the diversity of the church uh, in, in all of the ways that in many, in many ways my own upbringing was quite sheltered. Uh, and so I uh, did experience on Iona the, the whole gamut of what faith can look like and different socioeconomics and cultures and everything from the most conservative fundamentalist American evangelicals to the roughest Glaswegian uh, disadvantaged young people who took great joy in um, trying to speak in ways that meant that nobody could understand what they were saying to the joy of members of the Lash community from Inverness dancing up the aisles of Iona Abbey and everything else. Um, and the staff group were also really diverse from a whole range of different uh, Christian traditions and a whole range of different countries, uh, a whole range of sexualities, um, which was a new encounter for me, uh, and um, trying to work out what it meant to live and work together and to worship together and to create community and space that others could come and join into together uh, was really beautiful. And it's an experience that still stays with me and, and continues to, to form me. So I'd say those three communities have been really um, important in forming my, my broader understanding of Christian community. Thanks, Beck. That's, uh, that's a really rich experience, isn't it, of three different communities that have all added uh, a dimension to your life and your spirituality and faith. That's, that, that's a really great thing to have. Um, and, of course, um, one of the reasons that I really wanted to have you on today, which is a great lead-in to, is then to start to talk about um, uh, the Jewish expression of, of faith. Shouldn't, we shouldn't call it Christian faith. It's not Christian faith. It's the Jewish expression of faith. But it's part of our, of our heritage and those experiences that uh, shaped over time um, a Jewish understanding of community and and I wonder if you can start to unpack some of that for us as we, we think about the scope of Jewish history um, before we sort of um, move into starting to think about what exile might have might teach us. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, one of the things that's always helpful just to remember uh, and to remind ourselves, um, even though I think um, it's something people will be aware of is just the great length of time that so that the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament that we have, it's it's a set of stories and um, a set of literature that is developed over a really long time period. So it actually means that uh, there's not ever one idea that's found within those scriptures. It's a whole conversation uh, within itself. And part of what I find really interesting and helpful about looking at the Hebrew scriptures, the, the Old Testament, is that that conversation seems to be more, um, Christian readers seem to be more open to that conversation of diversity and the inner biblical conversation when we approach it in the Old Testament then we are to see that same conversation in the New Testament. So when we come to the New Testament, we often have been taught that this is it and this is how um, we need to understand God and everything is going to be clear for us. Um, and it's hard for us sometimes because of that to see some of the nuances and to see some of the ways those early church communities and the early um, church writers, the writers of the New Testament, are, are struggling to work out what community looks like, what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to try and live in a way that is different than the people around them. But when we look at the Hebrew scriptures, sometimes that opens, we're a bit more open to see that dialogue. And then we can come back to the New Testament and see, see that dialogue emerging there 
and then maybe find space for ourselves. So that's part of what I think is really interesting process about looking looking at this in the Hebrew Bible. So the Hebrew Bible is written and formed over a really long period of time by people with a really diverse set of experiences who are in different places and different contexts. It's written in different genres. It's not all the same. We're not try, all trying to do the same thing. And the people have different biases and they're asking different questions and they're trying to struggle through, um, through different crises that are in front of them. But I think that one of the key questions that, that kind of brings that body of work together is what does it mean to be God's people? How do we form community? How do we live together in a way that honours the people around us, drawn out of our honouring and understandings of who God is? Uh, and so I think that's that for me is a really helpful way of, of thinking about what's going on behind the, the Hebrew scriptures. Um, and a big part of that and the first part of that that kind of gets formed and settled is the Torah, um, the Pentateuch, which we often think of as, as law and rules, but actually that's a framework for how you do that, a framework for how you live together as community, a framework for how you make space for God in everyday life, and in everything that you do, and trying to put some structure and order around the world uh, so that God and other people are loved and, and honoured. Um, and, and I think that's that's really interesting and, and helpful for us. Um, but who makes up that community and what boundaries there are and what permeabilities there are to move in and out of that community, uh, it's shifting and it's a conversation that, that keeps happening or an argument sometimes, a debate that's happening over time through the scriptures. Um, and, and there's never there's never just one fixed idea about, about what those things are. Yes, it's a, it's a really fluid community really, isn't it, in, in, in many ways. There's people are coming in and out and as different things, different pressures and um, contexts emerge and different answers to those questions about how to be the people of God in this place are seen to emerge. Mm. I think that's uh, helpful for us too as we, um, for us as Christian people and people of faith in in the 21st century, we, we also need to wrestle with what does it mean to be people of faith, um, with the sorts of things that we're facing and COVID-19 being just one of those sort of situations. Um, Beck, um, we've had a bit of dialogue, of course, in the background around some of this, and um, you made a comment the other day about um, exile not necessarily being uh, the best image or metaphor we might use in a Western sort of space, and I totally agree with you. But it's um, it is also then a helpful um, uh, to look at what happened for. The people of Israel at that time and and what can we learn out of that space so can you start to talk to us about um, you know what, what was going on with the northern and the southern kingdoms and uh, and that experience of exile that just so overturned their world mm. um, I I remember it was at a school of discipleship a long time ago uh, and a fantastic biblical scholar called Daniel Smith Christopher, who's written a lot about exile and a lot about, um, uh, I, I guess, where um, how how Western uh, privileged Western people might engage with scripture. He was the keynote speaker uh, at this conference, and he was just trying to set up for us the sense of what it was like to live in that land of Israel, that land that was in between all of these big powers competing for uh, political dominance across a, a, a range of time, a place where there was a, a fertile part of land that was very interesting to a lot of people. And pretty much if you were Egypt or you were Babylon or you were Assyria, and you wanted to get over and conquer one of those other places, you had to traipse through the land of Israel. And that was really helpful to understand that this little country 
this little um, space uh, was so important for a lot of other people just in terms of getting to and from different spaces. And one of the things that he said was it's really helpful to remember that when we're reading the scripture and thinking about what it means for a people to say, our God is a mighty God. And the way he did it was he said, you know, it's like this little land going, it's not our God is a mighty God. They don't have power. They don't have strength. They're going, our God is a mighty God in the face of all of these big empires around them. And that then is born out within the reality of lives. Um, so we have the monarchic period where you've got, you know, David and Solomon and, and so on. Then the kingdom split. You've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And in, um, in 721, the Assyrian Empire wipes out the northern kingdom. So then you've got the southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, which is really small and trying to keep its head above water. And not so long afterwards, um, Babylon uh, becomes the dominant power, uh, gets rid of the Assyrians, beats the Assyrians, and um, the Israelites don't do what they're supposed to do. They don't uh, do as the Babylonians tell them. And through a series of events, a, a series of deportations and a series of conflicts, uh, it leads up to the point in time where Jerusalem is completely demolished. Uh, and that's uh, 580, um, 587, 586. The city is, is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. And there's a, um, a deportation of people into exile. And there had previously been uh, exiles taken away as well. It's part of how Babylon asserted their authority, take people away from the, the land and the culture and the space where their, their power and their home, their sense of home and belonging uh, was placed. I'm not sure that many of us could understand the kind of trauma that that would have entailed. Um, the whole centre of life, the temple, the sense of the place of where you encounter God and what holds uh, all of those, all of that ordering of community and life and, and keeping that respect for people and God in place in the temple, that's all gone. We have a sense from the Book of Lamentations that uh, is written uh, out of that city, out of that broken space of just the horror of the destruction that people have experienced. And of course, there are some people who are who remain in that space, who remain in that that destroyed space, living that trauma. And then you've got a whole other group of people who are carried over into Babylon who are asking, how did this happen? Who are we? Does God care about us? Is God even with us anymore? Because God told us that God would give us a land and now we're not in that land anymore. So the whole mindset of, of people is completely traumatised and, and there's this enormous sense of destruction that, um, that, that is present for people in that space. Uh, it, it, and it's an overwhelming it would have been an overwhelming experience for these people. Yeah. And then the work that they do in trying to find what faith is, what their identity is, who God is and how they understand and make sense of what's happened is a creative and transformative work that has to deal with the trauma that they're in, the, the real lived experience of their situation but also has to make sense of the stories that have held them, the stories uh, of the patriarchs and matriarchs, of how um, God has, has brought Abraham to the land, the stories of Moses, the stories of, of law. And so what we see is kind of a piecing together and a reframing 
of, of scripture, of these stories, these memories, these foundational uh, and, and identity-giving, meaning-making spaces that people start to retell them in a way that makes sense of the trauma that they're going through so that they can find, again, ways to be God's people, not in Jerusalem, not with a temple, but to find ways where they are carrying all of that experience to find ways to make sense of, of who God is and who, who God uh, is calling them to be as a people. Um, Walter Brueggemann talks about in Jeremiah 29 where you have that, that uh, passage about finding the good for the city. He talks about that as being the two things happening there. The first one is to find the good for the city or to, uh, to build houses and plant gardens, you have to acknowledge that what's happening before you right now is real and it's not going anywhere. Yeah. Um, so you can't escape the trauma. You're, it's, it's acknowledgement, it's embracing, accepting that this is real and it's not going anywhere. And alongside of that, there are those passages within that space that give that profound hope that something else might come. Um, and I think that we see a lot of that in, in the way that the, the scriptures are then put together by these, these people in exile trying to make sense of their stories and on the one hand acknowledge this is really where we are and this is really our experience and on the second hand trying to say what might the future look like, where might we go, how might we, we do things differently or experience things differently. Yeah, and I guess what we see is um, a range of responses, isn't it? We have, we have, as you say, those who prepared to seek the good of the city and to get on and um, work with the Babylonians. Um, but then there, I guess there are others who, um, who gave up on, on what the whole dream of, of what um, Israel was and and, you know, became Babylonians, if you like. Um, and for others, I'm sure the, the complete opposite response was there. <laughs> they became even more um, enamoured with the vision and, um, and tried to, to bring about those sorts of things. And so um, there's certainly that at play. And then as the exile, as Darius um, sends the people back to Jerusalem, we we have this clash then again too, don't we, of people who've been in exile and those who've stayed behind and what does rebuilding actually look like and and how, how do they put all that how do they put all that together mm. yeah I think and I think that's um, again a, a really interesting question the the parts of the scriptures that I've worked most closely with um, are part of what I consider to be um, post-exilic literature um, and stories so Jonah and then Ruth um, and I think, again, that, that coming back to, to the land, uh, having that space where there are people who've been there for a long time, who've been there through the whole of that exile process, who've been um, worshipping God, getting on with life. They've, they've not had an easy life um, in, in that space that has been destroyed. Uh, and then people coming back and wanting to work out once again, all right, We've, we've kind of worked out a little bit how to be God's people in, in exile in Babylon and now we're back here and what changes again in this point. And, again, you see this really creative sense of uh, engaging with theology and engaging with the stories that comes out in whole, all sorts of different ways. So you have the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah who are really concerned about what does it mean for us to be a distinct people? How do we show that we're different from everyone else around us? Because that was something that was important for the community in Babylon, to be different than the people around them so that they can, can show in ways that aren't just about worship at the temple, they can show in, in different ways that they are a particular people, that they have a particular identity. And... Um, while I find 
much of the theology that comes out of Ezra and Nehemiah, much of, of the rhetoric that they use, I find that very difficult, very confronting, and I don't like it, actually. Um, what they're trying to do is probably to find and assert an identity of, of difference, of purity and of being God's people. And then on the other side, you've got stories like Ruth and Jonah that are bringing foreigners into the mix, that are suggesting that they're, um, you know, I love the story of, of Jonah. We often don't read it right to the end. Jonah gets sent to uh, Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria, which was the big bad before Babylon's the big bad. So go right into the heart of the empire that's destroyed the people and um, go and go and uh, tell them my words. And, of course, he doesn't want to do that. Of course, there's that sense of fear and uncertainty about going into the, the heart of the enemy uh, to do that. But then when you get to the end and the people of Nineveh have heard Jonah's words and have repented, and Jonah goes up the hill to sit on the hill and to wait and to watch for God to give those people what they deserve, and it doesn't come. <laughs> there's um, th- there's this amazing sense of uh, honesty as Jonah gets really angry with God and tells God, it's better that I should die. Um Simon's sending me uh, rude messages at the moment if I'm laughing <laughs> a little bit. Yes, I'm a, yes, I'm a Buffy fan. Um, uh, Jonah sits on the, the hill and, and has this conversation with God that most of us would find, um, you can't say that to God, kill me now, God, it's better if I die because I don't like what you're doing right now. Uh, and it ends with that question of, of God saying, isn't it... Um, you know, you get you were worried about the the plant that grew up that I grew up to shelter you, and um, when it died, you were really upset, Jonah. Well, shouldn't I be upset about a city with people and cows and animals too? Um, and there's this sense that again, I don't think we sometimes feel how strong it is to have. Nineveh, Assyria, as the place that Jonah is sent to. And this is all part of this conversation uh, that's going uh, going on. In the story of Ruth, Ruth is from Moab. Uh, that's one of the, the places where Ezra and Nehemiah are saying people who've married foreign women should expel them and divorce them from the community. And then on the other south side, you've got this story of Ruth who is a Moabite, who it ends up um, being said of that she is um, a woman of worth, that she is worth more to Naomi than seven sons and she is uh, attributed as being in the lineage of, of David. Um, so these conversations keep keep going and I think that's good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's really helpful for us to see that in times that are difficult and traumatic and when people don't know what's going on, there's not just, um, it, it, it's not just that somehow the community has gone, this is exactly what's right and this is what we're going to do. These earlier communities have, have done the same thing that we do. They've said the stories that we know uh, that tell us something about who God is tell us that we need to find ways to be different than the people around us. What does that mean? Um, The stories that we have of who God is tell us that God wants us to act with love and um, loyal kindness to the people around us. What does that mean for us? Um, The stories that we know about who God is tell us that God wants us to love people even when it's difficult to love them. What does that mean for us? And they're having that struggle and wrestling um, and asking hard questions uh, that are real, that are the real questions, but they're using the stories that they know, the memories of their tradition, the memories of um, uh, 
Abraham and Sarah, of Moses, of the Torah laws. They're using all of, all of what they have as the building blocks for those questions and that reassertion of, of how um, their faith comes to be. And in many ways, that's what Jesus does. <laughs> he takes those same stories that um, he, he takes the faith that he has been brought up in and he asks questions and wrestles with it and sometimes flips it on its head, which is exactly the same thing that has been happening already in the in the whole formation of the Hebrew Bible. Thanks, Beck. There's, there's, we're gonna, I can see we're going to run out of time here real fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's just so much to unpack in all of that, um, and um, and thank you, for, thank you for that. Um, I, I guess I want to just shift the conversation a little bit to then. Um, the, from what you're saying is that there's there's a number of things there that I that I hear that are the same now. Like there is still this question for us um, as people of the Christian faith. Um, some want to withdraw from the world and become very um, almost insular and, you know, be very strongly identified as being different. And that seems to me to be quite the same as the, the sort of story that you've been saying before. And there are others who, who want to be more inclusive and um, to bring others in and to question, to question more. So I wonder whether there are, for you, whether there are things that are similar and different mm. about the about the story then, in out of that sort of period of time, and and for us now as we start to grapple with what does it mean to be people of faith in mm. the year now? Yeah, I um, there are a number of um, uh, biblical scholars and theologians who. Uh, would suggest that exile is a really good lens from which we can understand where we are as the church. Um, now, I have a little bit of uncertainty around that, uh, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But I think part of part of what they're trying to get at is that um, we have experiences of grief and of uncertain times. Uh, that also call for that kind of creative, transformative and very honest work, truth-telling work, that, that acknowledgement of what our place is in the world um, and then working through what, what does that mean. And, and the people who are talking about that are talking in terms of the context um, of the breakdown of Christendom uh, and the, the differing role now that the church has um, in relation to many of the communities that we're a part of. Um, and I think that for, uh, for our context, um, that, that can be seen really clearly uh, in the aftermath of the Royal Commission into um, Child Sexual Abuse, Institutional Abuse, partly because um, I, rightly so, the church is an institution does not have the same standing in society that it used to. And so for many people in the church, the ways that we have worked in society or the assumptions that we've made about the invitation that we will receive doesn't work in the same way. And so there is a process there about acknowledging and telling the truth about what's happened uh, and then working, working out the different ways that we become God's people in that space. Part of what makes me uncomfortable about the image of exile for those of us who are part of dominant and dominating cultures or privileged cultures within the church is that the church has very often been in our context the causer of the trauma. Um, and the example I've just named is, is part of that. Um, and in Australia, I think the, the, the history of colonisation uh, talks to us about another part of that. And so for me, as someone who sits within part of that dominant and privileged culture, I actually have to come to terms with the truth-telling around 
being complicit in structures that have have caused the destruction, have caused the trauma, um, have perhaps been more Babylon than than Israel, than Jerusalem in this context. Uh, and I think that's really important work for us to do. Uh, now, it has some of the same outputs, the, some of the same processes that need to be a part of that because it also is about acknowledgement, acknowledging truth, acknowledging uh, the experience of, of trauma. It's just that the trauma isn't mine. The trauma is sits with somebody else. Uh, and then a posture of, of listening and a posture of that creative work that draws on the tradition to find spaces for something different to emerge so that if the church has caused trauma in the past, that what I'm doing now isn't going to continue that same trajectory of causing trauma for others into the future. Um, so I think there are some really helpful uh, things that we can draw out of that that process of reworking, of reframing, and of using the memories, the the, the scripture stories that we have, the stories that the communities over um, over time and space have said are, are the life-giving stories that tell us about who God is and who God's calling us to be. We can draw upon those to do that work because we can see examples of that work having been done before us. Um, but I think that my posture needs to be one of uh, listening, um, of deep humility, uh, and of acknowledging that whether I like it or not, um, there are some truths that, that I need to be aware of and to be honest about in order to move forward. Is that helpful, Jeff? I'm <laughs> We're going to um, give others a chance to have a, have a bit of a go here in, in a very few moments too. So if you've got a question brewing, um, please uh, start to think about what you're going to ask. I guess um, my comment would be then about the role of lament in, yes. um, in well in the exile story, but even now, if we're going to be in a you know truth telling, acknowledging, a listening, uh, and have our posture as one of of actually understanding that there are other stories going on here, um, then lament I think becomes a really critical way in which as a community we can acknowledge what's going on and. I'll pour out the, the grief of what's actually happened. And I think that's, um, that's there's so much lament in the, the Hebrew scripture uh, and so much questioning. Um, in, we have lamentations, we have the Psalms, we have Job, uh, but even, even within the kind of the narrative parts of scripture, there, there's a lot of lament that happens and a lot of that kind of honesty and I think there are times when we begin as Christian communities to start um, re-engaging with that, but it's certainly not a big part of uh, the communities that I've been a part of. And I think it's really important work for us to do at the moment, whether it's around um, COVID-19, whether it's around uh, bushfires and drought, whether it's around other aspects um, of truth-telling, uh, like relationships between first and second peoples in Australia or around um, asylum seekers and refugees, um, and even just personal grief that people go through. Uh, how are we resourcing people at, as a church to really be honest and acknowledge those spaces creatively with liturgies uh, and structures that can help help them move through lament to be honest and to bring that before the community and before God. Um, and I hope that's something we can learn more from and draw more from the, the Hebrew scriptures because the tradition is so rich. Uh, and I, I go back to that comment that I made of the community, the first community that formed me that said we have to kind of protect God and I think that our retinence, um, our retinence to use 
lament sometimes actually comes from that same uh, that same belief that somehow become ingrained in us that we think we have to protect God from what's going on for us when. Yeah. God's small and we can have trouble with that. Yeah. So, um, look, I'm sure many of you have some questions and things here. Um, if you're used to um, using the raise your hand um, option, so if you go to the participants, you'll find and click on the participants button at the bottom of your screen. On the far right-hand side, you'll see an option to raise your hand. That would be really helpful if you can do that um, and you'd like to have a have a question. Otherwise, wave your hand and um, try and attract my attention. There are two screens at the moment, so it's a bit hard to see everybody. But um, So we've got um, one question coming from Peter Powell. So, Peter, um, let me just unmute you and um, you can have a go. Yeah. I was playing with a button. <laughs> yep. Well, There's a, uh, a question, Beck. Um, I'm interested with Cyrus, um, there's a big debate whether he's a Mede or a Persian, but uh, he he becomes the one that releases the people to go back to Jerusalem. What I'm interested from you is he's referred to as Messiah, anointed one. I've always taken that to mean that this is a wonderful paradox of God saying, well, I'm going to choose someone, not even a Hebrew person, to be the good guy, which must have really freaked people out. If, so can you speak a bit about... Um, how a Messiah or a Norwegian one might be from outside the community. So an implication for us today as Christian, what if the Messiah is, um, I don't know, a Trotskyite, left-footed, <laughs> something that we shouldn't, shouldn't be that person that, who's speaking the word to us? Yeah, look, I think that there's, um, there's certainly been a, a tradition of interpretation that said that... Um, uh, God using Cyrus, that's interpreted what happens in um, the, the return of the people to the land, the release from captivity or from one kind of captivity at least um, because, of course, they're still in a captive relationship. They're still underneath the Persian Empire at that point. Um, that, that this is about God continuing to choose people who are unexpected in a sense, that, that God's sovereignty is bigger. And I think that there are certainly um, uh, that that's certainly one of the ways that that story and that um, experience is is understood uh, and interpreted through through the scriptures. Um, there are some other interpretations that kind of suggest that that's being used a little more ironically as well. That idea of of Cyrus as a messiah. Um, and that would try and look for, in, in the same way that when we read the book of Revelation, we understand that there are things that can and cannot be said uh, in the context of Rome, in the context of the Roman Empire. And so you have to be a bit careful and a bit clever about what you're saying. That in the way the Hebrew scriptures talk about Cyrus, the same kind of thing might be taking place. Because people have been allowed to go back, they're trying to rebuild something, they're trying to work out what society looks like and what it means for them to be God's people, but they're still under the thumb. Uh, and so they, again, in that context, need to be a bit a bit clever um, about how they do that and what kinds of language they use around that. Um, I, I think that you can have those two different threads working at the same time um, to uh, to suggest that uh, ultimately we're not in control of events and um, we, we we like to try and find interpretations that help us to make sense of, of those events. Um, and at the same time trying to, to understand why people might have written in particular ways. Yeah. Is that helpful? Thanks. Thanks, Beck. Um, uh, Faye, would you like to, to have a go, have a question there? Yep. Um, I think it, learning is important as well from outside influences and from other people. And 
when you read our history of colonisation, it was one thing that the Christian church uh, didn't acknowledge with um, First Nation people, that they had a spirituality that was relevant and important, and we don't really even acknowledge that properly today, uh, and we certainly don't let it influence our traditions in a way, and I think that's very unhealthy for us as a church. Could you comment on that? Yeah, I wasn't sure where um, where exactly the conversation would, would go, uh, but I did bring with me this book, um, which some of you might have seen before. This is um, Yata Wandata, and it's by um, Reverend Auntie Denise Champion. It's, it's quite hard to get hold of at the moment, but um, uh, there are... There is a copy in the Camden Library once that reopens. Um, and this is a really fantastic example of how uh, a Christian Indigenous leader, uh, Auntie Denise is an Adnamatna woman, uh, interweaves her stories, her, her dreaming, um, the, the, the lore and um, the sacredness of, of her people and looks at the way they interweave with both the um, Hebrew scriptures and the New Testament uh, as a way for her to better and more fully understand God and as a gift for the church that we might better understand who we are as God's people in her place. And there are a number of Aboriginal scholars and Aboriginal Christian leaders within Australia who are, are beginning to do this work, who are beginning to um, uh, to show what, what the coming of Christ means within their Aboriginal context rather than within a British colonial context. And the same work um, is happening for Indigenous peoples who, who are Christian all around the world. And that's really important work that those of us who are disconnected from our own um, cultural backgrounds in many ways um, need to pay attention to uh, and need to learn from. Um, there are a number of uh, Christian Indigenous scholars who would talk about their stories as another Old Testament that the law and custom and ceremony that they believe they were gifted by God um, is part of that learning to respect other people and respect God that we're talking about is kind of the question through the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, and so for them it's then about how, how that might be um, uh, read through the lens of, of the Christ who comes. Um, yeah, it's some, some really interesting work, but I, I really highly recommend Auntie Denise's work um, if you're able to get a copy of that book, Yata Wandata. Thanks, Rebecca. Um, so anybody else who'd like to um, who'd like to make a comment or ask a question of Rebecca? Uh, Ian, do you want to have a go too? Yeah. I'm a farmer. And um, I read in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 8, Woe is you who add house to house and field to field, till no space is left and you live alone in the land. I, in terms of building community, What do you see the church needing to do in in the light of that passage of scripture? That that's a tricky one, Ian. Because um, right now I'm not on top of uh, uh, the, the passage of scripture and its context. Can you can you ask me in a different way? Um, can you yeah, ask me sure. a question again in a different way? Sure, sure, I can. Um, it, in our particular case, as it coming out of drought, it's become quite evident to us that we do not have enough land, but it's very easy 
to say another piece of land will fix the problem or if I'm not a farmer and I take advantage of um, whatever it is the government gives us negative gearing to buy more and more houses eventually what the scripture is saying is that you will be in the middle of your place on your own because you've displaced other people from that space that would seem to me then we have no community mm. i'm wondering what the church should be saying and i should be doing in relation to trying to build community knowing that if we have more and more possessions we will actually reduce community mm. yeah thank thank you um and i cannot speak into a farming context. Um, as I said at the beginning, it's not something that is... Um, uh, tell me about negative gearing. I can't tell you much about negative gearing either. That's You're not my context either. Um, but what I, what I would say, um, if I've... Because I, I think now I understand that the question that's, that's behind what you're asking um, is that... We live in a culture of uh, seeking affluence, of seeking more, of greed, of um, consumerism and materialism. And that is not something that I think is aligned to the vision of what community is, looks like in the Hebrew Bible or the vision of what community looks like um, in the New Testament, in, in um, the communities that follow after Christ. Uh, and I think that's actually quite consistent across the scriptures, that um, while what that actually looks like in practice or whether some of the laws around that in the Torah were actually ever implemented in practice is something that's questioned and, and kind of up for grabs in, in academic debate. The principles around making sure that everyone has enough, caring for uh, the widow and the orphan and the alien, so through gleaning laws, for example, um, making sure that the land um, is not divvied up so firmly like that in, in um, terms of things like the Jubilee, so that um, land belongs to particular families and returns to those particular families to try and ensure that even if people have had a period of, uh, of, of drought or famine and not enough, that they're not destitute for the long term. Uh, and then in the New Testament, the, the ways that communities came together um, and were supposed to look after each other. And then the history of the church in the early church where the thing that really set the Christian communities apart was that they were uh, looking after people who were different to them, um, whether they were people who were sick or people who were slaves or, or whoever it was. Um, I, I think that the scriptures have a, ha, do have a strong opinion about this, that greed is, is not the way to go and that we need to find ways to be satisfied with enough and to care for people, not just ourselves, but our neighbours near and far, and to care for the earth itself. Um, and I think you see that as well in, in some of those Torah laws, which say in the earth needs a rest too. <laughs> Sabbath is not just for people, but Sabbath is for the earth. Uh, and our, our society has not, um, has not done well in, in, in honouring and respecting people and land in that way, I think. Um, I, I hope that helps. I'm not sure if that's gotten to, to your question or not. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, thanks, uh, Ian. Yes, they're great, they're great uh, conversation to have. So who else would like to make a comment or ask a question? Here's your chance, folks. Um, don't miss out. Don't go away without asking your question. Um, this is your opportunity to um, have a chat with people here. No questions. My oh, goodness me. 
you've stumped them all back, I think. So if, um, well, they're too shy or something, I'm not sure. They didn't seem like a shy bunch. At the uh, they don't strike me as a shy bunch either, actually. <laughs> so I think um, we might start to wrap up if nobody's um, going to jump in. Um, you sure you don't have another question or comment? Simon, are you... Yeah, so I'm happy for somebody else to ask a question, but I just, as, as you were talking, Beck, I was thinking about um, last year, at this time of the year, I was in Armenia, and I was thinking about the Armenian community, and um, and if anybody in history has an echo with the Jewish community in terms of exile and crisis, I think the Armenians do, and I was just thinking about um, what you were saying, I found that really, really helpful, but how the Armenians have tried to re-understand in terms of um, they're, they're spread across the world, especially places like Australia and the United States, and trying to identify themselves and how they've held to their identity as Armenians, but also very clearly, um, as it were, put down gardens and married in the world around them. And I just, it's more a reflection about what you were saying and just the, the echoes for me about how, how clearly you spoke about that. And um, there's, I think the, the Indigenous question is a huge question, but so are questions like the Armenian uh, genocide and how perhaps um, how a, a several thousand year old story was was echoed in in the um, early twentieth century. That's all. Just a thought. Thanks, Simon. So here's your last chance, folks. Okay. Oh, Lynn, Lynn, have you got a? All right, let me unmute you. I don't know how how, it, how much it applies because I'm certainly not the scholar that Becky's, but the question that's going through in my mind, having read the book called Blood Brothers by the Palestinian Christian, is is this this challenge that to me seems insoluble is how do we work with both Palestinian and Israelis in trying to work out some solution to dispossess persons over such a small piece of land? Um, we've had the fortune to travel to Jordan, Iran and a few places like that, but, yeah, I just think it's such a tortured area of the world and... I don't know whether Beck has any thoughts on um, whether we as Christians here in Australia have a part to play in um, in listening and in and in being part of the solution there. Mm. Um, yeah, thanks, Lynn. That's a really interesting. I haven't read the book, uh, and I have um, so I, I I don't have that that context, um, but. About a, a week ago, some of my neighbours were standing at a very appropriately socially distanced um, uh, length of space from each other and, and talking about some of the TV that they had been watching. And a few of them had been watching on Netflix a show called Unorthodox, which is the story of um, a Hasidic um, Jewish woman from Brooklyn uh, who uh, led that community that um, she found um, it was very ultra-fundamentalist and suffocating to her. And as they were talking about this, one of my neighbours said to me, Beck, I, I didn't know that, that in um, the contemporary Jewish tradition you had fundamentalists as well. And it took me back to um, the opportunity that I had to travel in, in Israel-Palestine. Uh, I went there as part of the President's, um, Uniting Church President's Minister's Tour when Andrew Dutney was the President. Uh, and we had the opportunity to hear from uh, Christian and Islamic leaders and unfortunately because it was the High Holy Days, the, the Jewish um, leader who had been coming to speak with us got called away and then we weren't able to reschedule that because of the time of year. But what really struck me was the similarity between what the um, Islamic leaders we heard and the Christian leaders were asking of us. 
And one of the Christian leaders articulated it by saying, fundamentalists are all the same. It actually doesn't matter what religious tradition they come from, whether they are Christian, Islamic, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist, insert religion here. There is something that is um, more similar about those fundamentalists together than there is usually with the other people from within their faith. So in terms, uh, and then they were um, asking that we would um, uh, come home and, and share the stories of actually regular people trying to work together and trying to build a future that was different from the past and that was shared. Um, and so as you're talking, Lynn, I'm, I'm just remembering that story and remembering um, that that call from uh, from the Christian leader who, who we encountered uh, there, um, who said our role as Western Christians was to actually stop giving power to American, Australian, Western fundamentalist Christians who are propping up terror in the Middle East. So that our role is actually to speak back into our community as, a, as Christians and to say, actually, that really fundamentalist kind of um, understanding doesn't match what we see in, in the gospel and doesn't match uh, what we think might be helpful in our context, let alone in someone else's context. So I don't know if that's helpful, but that's that's all, um, all I have to offer in that space. <laughs> that, that's good. It was just the, the exile and what was happening to the... Jews just resonated a bit with me with what was happening to Palestinians too. So yes, I was just trying to see was there any connection between what you're studying and, and that, mm. uh, apart from just in my mind. So thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. It's uh, fantastic to have you along today and um, I hope others have enjoyed it as much as I have. The things that I have heard particularly today that uh, I think uh, are really helpful for this conversations in Christian community are that we adopt a posture, if you like, of truth-telling, acknowledging, listening and drawing on the traditions that we have to actually start to form uh, centres of community in which we can actually listen to each other and start to tap into those old stories of faith uh, and belonging and uh, where we find life, where we find the life of God in those places. So thank you so much uh, for your time today and for all you've contributed. I've uh, really enjoyed it and uh, I hope others have too. And we look forward to having, having you all back again uh, next week uh, where uh, Reverend Dr... Peter Walker is going to be talking to us um, next Sunday afternoon. So thanks, everyone, and good night. And um, see you all next time. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. 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 Thank you, Beck. That was great. Great talk. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Phil. Bye, all my friends. Bye. Thank you for joining Conversations in Christian Community today. Further podcasts are available on saltbushcommunity.uca.org.au website. Thanks for joining us for Salty Conversations. Bye for now.